from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This is Francisco Macias at the Library of Congress. Late September will mark the 12th year that book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will last two days this year, Saturday, September 22nd, and Sunday, September 23rd, 2012. The festival will take place between 9th and 14th Streets on the National Mall, rain or shine. Hours will be from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. on Saturday, the 22nd, and from noon to 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, the 23rd. For more details, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce the award-winning American writer, Sandra Cisneros, whose forthcoming book, Have You Seen Marie?, is a moving frame story of sorts that is lovingly embroidered and features a visual and textual montage of portraits that, as Sandra puts it so well, tell another story about the people of San Antonio, of cultures colliding and creating something new, folks with blonde hair, a German last name, a Spanish first name, inherited from a Mexican grandmother several generations back. Tex-Mexicans with Arab and indigenous features and a Scottish surname, ultra-devout Catholics with Sephardic roots, stories the Alamo forgets to remember. Her book, Have You Seen Marie?, will be available for purchase on October 2nd. Sandra Cisneros is best known for her first novel, The House on Mango Street, which has become an essential work of the ever-evolving American literary canon in middle schools, high schools, universities, and other institutions of higher learning throughout the United States. She has received many awards for her work, some of which include National Endowment for the Arts Fellowships for both fiction and poetry, the Lannan Literary Award, the American Book Award, the Texas Medal of the Arts, and a MacArthur Fellowship. Her work has been translated into more than 20 languages. Her second novel, Caramello, has been awarded the Premio Napoli and has been nominated for other awards numerous times throughout the world. She is the founder of the Alfredo Cisneros del Moral and the Macondo Foundations, which serve creative writers. Truly, it is impossible to do justice and capture the depth and breadth of an author with such an extensive literary presence. So without further ado, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. All right, so let's get on with the with the first question, tell us a bit about your forthcoming work. Have you seen Marie? I just have to say that I found it very moving. It spoke to me, although I may be biased because I am a blue-eyed Mexican of Sephardic ancestry who grew up in South Texas and the parent of two tuxedo cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess my, my story uh, turned into a book. It really was a story that I wrote uh, when I had my heart broken open by my mother's death. And it was a story that was a spoken story. I was writing it and shaping it as I told it out loud. Uh, I was on a book tour for the 25th anniversary edition of House on Mongo Street, but my heart was broken open from the recent death of my mother. So I, I started reading while I was on the road uh, a story still in progress. 
And reading it out loud uh, was helpful to, for me to move from that place of sadness to light. And it was also helpful for people in the audience who were grieving for whatever heartbreak they had. So I saw that the story had a, a resonance and a purpose, and it could be useful to people. Uh, so I considered it as being a, a story that could turn into a book. And I thought of my friend Esther Hernandez, the artist. She had lost her mother and shared the story with her, and she was moved. So I thought, well, maybe Esther would like to do the pictures, which is totally the reverse way you're supposed to do a book. I mean, you're supposed to take the book to your publisher, and they match you with uh, an arranged illustrator, kind of like an arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. But uh, Esther and I have been friends for a long time. I'm a big admirer of her work. She says that I asked her five times to do the illustrations. I don't know if I asked her five times, but probably I did. And eventually she said, okay, without knowing what she was getting into, because she's not a, a book illustrator. She's a fine artist, a lot of work. And several years later, now we have this book based on this story that I was telling several times. And, you know, uh, the story changed from when I originally wrote it. I started incorporating uh, people into the story, either visually or uh, in the text. Uh, sometimes I would include neighbors. When Estad would come to visit, I'd say, well, let's photograph uh, Helen across the street, or let's go uh, catch the re There's the reverend. He's about to get in his car. Let's go ask him if he would be photographed for this project. And people were very uh, willing. The only unwilling models were the cats. You know how that's all. Yes. Yeah, but everybody else was very amiable, and, uh, you know, they didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> they were like, okay, okay, fine. They trusted me. And, uh, you know, and eventually, as it turns out, the Reverend Shavana passed away, and uh, his family's very grateful that we were able to document him in the photograph and in, he include him in both the story and the epilogue. So I feel as if uh, the book served many purposes. Most important, it helped me to move from a, a place where I was feeling very depressed and coming to terms with my mother's presence in my life, her spiritual presence, as opposed to simply her absence. Yeah. That's beautiful, the way that you make a connection between, um, you know, the healing aspect and memorializing someone in, in this work. And, and I think that is what comes through in it. My next question is, beyond a nostalgic and thematic connection to Mexico and to Mexican-American spaces, do you feel connected to the literature of Mexico and Latin America? How so, or why not? Well, you know, I can't say that I'm an expert on anybody's literature, not even the U.S. I read uh, an eclectic mix of genres and, mm -hmm. and books, and I, of course I'm very much influenced by some writers in Latin America, but I, I don't think of myself as a scholar or knowing everything. I don't try to read everything that comes out. Mm -hmm. I generally, generally move the opposite direction from what everyone's reading. If everyone's reading it, then I don't want to read it. Yeah. And I'm kind of messiah, you know, stubborn that way. Like if it's on the bestsellers list, I can't possibly want to read that. And I miss out. On, and because of this prejudice, I miss out on some good books. But they come to me eventually. I just don't read them when everyone else is reading them. Yeah, so, um, you know, I have my biases like that. I, I feel as if what the books I'm looking for uh, will come to me, and all books are medicine. The books I write are medicine. And, you know, I will draw near me the books that I need for this time in my life. 
that that prescription will find me. So I, I don't say I'm a scholar of Latin American literature, but I love world literature a great deal. Uh, I'm always looking for uh, writers that might speak to whatever it is I'm dealing with at that time in my life. Well, well that's, that's very good, and I'm certain that the world appreciates that perspective. Um, you are hailed as one of the leading voices of Chicano literature, but in addition to seeing your work as part of a literary tradition that is tied to a particular culture and geography, is there a movement that further defines your work? Well, I guess that would be a question you would have to ask some literary scholar. You know, I'm, 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 uh, uh, I am what I am, but mm-hmm. I, I don't study my own work. Mm-hmm. I, I write my own work to try to examine and navigate my way through my life. Uh, but I, I think perhaps at this time in my life, at 57, I'm finding my my bearing, mm-hmm. uh, reading a lot of work that has uh, spoken roots, a lot of indigenous cultures or cultures that may not be indigenous, but that were transformed from the spoken onto the written page, you know, fairy tales, mm-hmm. uh, mythology, uh, stories like that, that were spoken and then recorded and passed down from generations spoken of. I'm very intrigued by spoken literature, and probably because so much of my own uh, culture's background, you know, we have in our roots the, the spoken text and spoken literatures, and uh, I'm fascinated with that right now. But I've always been, in, to some degree, I think if you're fascinated with fairy tales and mythology, uh, you are looking at words that were preserved and hand, handed down by word of mouth. Yeah, and I think that that point of the oral tradition and fairy tales, I think, is a great segue for our next question. Looking back at yourself as a young writer, what were some of your earliest wishes for your work, and have these come true? Oh, well, um, my earliest wishes, since I was a poet, primarily, was that uh, I would be able to continue writing for the rest of my life, that I'd make my living, of course, by a day job, but that I wouldn't lose my path, that I would write in the evening or on weekends or whenever I could, and that the most I aspired to was to get the respect from writers I admired. If I could get blurbed and recognized by you know my heroes, that, that was a wonderful thing. And I dreamed of getting blurbed by Studs Terkel. There's a documentary, Spoken Word, mm-hmm. and Elena Poniatowska, mm-hmm. and Dorothy Allison, and, you know, uh, just many writers that I admired, and I thought, mm, Eduardo Galliano, wouldn't it be cool to be blurred by Eduardo Galliano? <laughs> There's so many people that I admire, Gary Soto, you know, just on and on. Uh, so those writers that were, to me, you know, had a more illustrious career, uh, I thought that's the best I could get, that I could get a blurb from writers whose work I admired. Thank you for your candor on that. And now to our last question. Based on my reading of Have You Seen Marie? I think I know the answer to this question. When literary critics enter the realm of literary analysis, some shy away from biographical criticism. Now, if we consider Oscar Wilde's adage, life imitates art far more than art imitates life, tell us about your creative experience as a writer and to what extent your works are autobiographical. 
think that people presume uh, so much of what I write is my life, and and that's true. I take strands, but uh, um, I have to say that I take liberties too. So there's a great confusion as as to what has happened to me and uh, what is fiction and what's poetry and what's nonfiction. I'm I'm pretty clear about saying, okay, this is based on my real life. And then I added characters from my childhood, and then I started manipulating the setting to say this is this is a novel. And uh, the new book is based on a real incident, but it's it's not precisely as it happened. I think the people who were with me, the, the real Rosalind, and would tell you it didn't happen like the book, sure. uh, except in my imagination. You know, we we I truly uh, allowed myself to illustrated in the book and to talk about it as a story based on on something that happened to me but then I had to take my literary imagination and go deeper into the story and um, make the story um, um, transcend reality I had to use my imagination and uh, I wanted this story to um, speak to my own personal grief about my mother and her death and and I say it's based on my life there but I also um, allowed myself to uh, start including people in my neighborhood who weren't there the day that we looked for the cat or the weeks that we looked for the cat. Uh, and I also, uh, you know, wanted to be able to do something that I like so much and the, the stories that I admire. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have the river speak. Uh, allowing the river to speak uh, made the story move into um, a spiritual realm, into a magical place. So I was very happy with that. Um, that happened in my office, not on the riverbank. Uh, but it happens every time I sit under a tree or sit under the sky, you know. So, you know, I think those moments of, of uh, I don't want to say magic because people think of magic as being something extraordinary. But everyday magic happens when, you know, we look deeply into a flower or into the eyes of the beloved or when you're with your child or with an animal. Just everyday extraordinary moments when you're just filled with love and light. That's ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. And I think when you're grieving, you're in that state of having your heart open. Open, broken in pain, but also open to receive uh, the things of beauty in the world. And that's where how we can connect with the spirit world. So that's something I, I know now from being on the planet many years and something I wanted to document and explore. That's very nice. And, and I think there's something really resounding in, in uh, one of the passages that you have in there where you talk about um, you know, being able to realize that with time, the person, the loved one that has parted becomes an integral part of the living being to sort yeah. of become... Part of partly that person. I definitely yeah. saw that. And yes, that's true. You know, that's that that saying. Uh, Guillermo Gomez Peña told me that saying that in Mexico that when uh, they say that when someone dies, a part of you dies with them. And 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 I wanted to add though that a part of them is born in you, mm-hmm. and that part takes a little while to grow and to develop, and it doesn't happen unless you grieve. You need to mourn so that person can be born in you and you can be reborn. Yeah, thank you very much. And it is a 
a, a lovely book, you, you see it. And initially, there's the misguidedness to think that it's a children's book, but it's definitely an adult book. And, and uh, I, I tried to tell people it's not for kids, and I would tell children, this is not a children's book, and when they would be in the audience. Actually, before it was a book, I would say, have to correct that. It's not a children's story, is what I would say, and get very upset if people would say, oh, that kid's story you read, I would get upset. But now, uh, after I've been reading it so many times, I realize, well, everything you write, kids like too even though it's not for them and that's a compliment uh that's a compliment my my favorite writers are writers that speak to adults and children and uh, that's a high compliment if all audiences all ages can understand it at the level where they are at spiritually or emotionally thank you sandra We've been hearing from American writer Sandra Cisneros, who will appear at the Library of Congress National Book Festival on Saturday, September 22nd, for a presentation from 3.30 to 4.15 p.m., followed by a book signing from 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. at the Fiction and Mystery Pavilion. Sandra, thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.